The following message is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe can be found at axechurchleander.com. Psalm 138 I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. I will bow down toward your holy temple and will praise your name for your unfailing love and your faithfulness. For you have so exalted your solemn decree that it surpasses your fame. When I called, you answered me. You greatly emboldened me. May all the kings of the earth praise you, Lord, when they hear what you have decreed. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. Though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand, you save me. The Lord will vindicate me. Your love, Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands. We are in a series called Homeward, really focusing on how do we cultivate homes that honor God? Last week we talked about how do we cultivate a home that restores. Next week we're going to be talking about a home that matures. AJ is going to talk about a home that rests in Sabbath. But today we're actually talking about the one that I personally find the most fun. We're talking about a home that celebrates, right? Celebrate, have a good time, right? And we've gotten better, I think, at least in one particular area of celebration in America. Because when it comes to weddings, we have gotten so much better over the last couple of decades. I remember growing up and I would go to weddings. Do you remember old wedding food? Right? And it always was like there was the food you would get if you went to like a summer camp. And then wedding food was like literally like a half a step above that. It was always the green beans. It was always chicken with some kind of like really, really thick white sauce. I went to wedding after wedding after wedding. And I would dread the food that you would get there. But man, has food gotten better at weddings, right? I mean, the caterers, you can get smoked meats. You can get all kinds of custom stuff. When my best friend got married, uh, he actually had a 12-course meal. And like course number one started with shrimp, and I love me some shrimp. And he kept telling me, Josh, just wait, something better's coming. By the time we got to the sixth course, it was lobster. And I was so stuffed, and I was just so irate at myself for failing to listen to him because I wasn't used to that kind of fun at a wedding, right? But it's not even just the food. You can go beyond that and you can do all kinds of photo booths, all kinds of different ways that this next generation is celebrating and allowing other people to celebrate weddings with them. So we've, we've gotten better, but as good as we've gotten, we are nowhere near as good at celebrating weddings as they were in the Bible. See, when you look at the biblical Jewish wedding, it was not a one-day event. No, it was a multi-day, week-long party that celebrated family. And yes, the bride and the groom, they were the chief people celebrated in that moment. But in that moment, it was so much more than just them. And in that time, to travel to a different place to a different town, often would be a multi-day journey. And so you would take these longer journeys to get there. And so once you got there, you didn't want to just turn around and head back home. And so they would throw these monster parties and they would celebrate and they would sing and they would dance. 
They would celebrate this union between a man and a wife coming together to create a new home. And one of the unique things about Jesus' ministry is that when you're in the Gospel of John, he starts off, and John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, the messenger who came ahead to declare that the Messiah was here, he starts pointing people to Jesus, but Jesus hasn't done anything yet. And so his disciples are following this Messiah, this Christ figure, to figure out what he's going to do in the world. And John recounts his first miracle. And his first miracle isn't healing someone, though people needed to be healed. It wasn't feeding someone, though people needed to be fed. It wasn't even declaring who God was and God, what God was doing. No, Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding, and it goes like this. Jesus said to the servants of the wedding, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw out some and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master tasted the water that had been turned into wine. You see, he did not realize where it had come from, though his servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. You see, the background of this story was that the party was about to end. The celebration was about to end. The family who was hosting this party had run out of wine. They had run out of the juice that makes so many weddings go forward. And Jesus' mother was also at this wedding. And she tells them and points them to her son and says, My son will take care of this. So what does Jesus do? He turns water into wine. And not just like a bottle or two. No, each of those jars that he filled were about 60 gallons. An average keg is 15 gallons. He did six of them. Why? Because he wanted to see the celebration, the party go on. You see, we have a God of celebration. In fact, what you see in the Old Testament, how much of a God of celebration do we have? There were seven different feasts throughout the calendar year that he told his people to celebrate. Some of them would last up to eight days where they would sing and they would pray and they would eat and they would drink and they would gather in fellowship and remember who their God was and what their God was doing. Some of them looked back to the past. Some of them celebrated things like the Passover when God rescued them from Egypt. But some of the celebrations were a present celebration. So it would be the first harvest, when they would first collect the first grain, the first fruit. They would literally stop everything and they would celebrate what God had provided for them. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, you see a rhythm of celebration. And what we want to do as a church, what we want to do as individual homes whether you're single like I was for a long time, whether you're married and no kids, or you've got a whole gaggle of them. We have a God who is calling us to celebrate. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. And we're going to be using that psalm that Margaret read to walk through some of the different components of celebration. Again, from the Psalms. This is David. I will praise you, Lord, with all of my heart. And before the gods, little g, I will sing your praise. I will bow down toward your holy temple, and I will praise your name for your unfailing love and faithfulness. For you have exalted your solemn decree that surpasses your fame. When I called, you answered me. You greatly emboldened me. 
This is a song of praise from David. And one of the things that I love about this particular psalm is he calls out the little g-gods. Because right? our world has all kinds of idols. Right? We actually named a show the American Idol. Right? And in the Old Testament, in old times, the idols were actual little g-gods. So Ra, if you were in Egypt, or Zeus, if you were in Greece. Right? All of these little g-gods that didn't really exist, but people put their trust in. And David says, I will declare your praise. I will celebrate what you have done, big God, in front of all of these little gods. And in today's age, again, our gods have changed. We don't celebrate Ra anymore. We don't celebrate Zeus anymore. But we have other gods. We have the gods of the bank account. We have the gods of how big a house is, or how good our kids are doing, or how good we look in the mirror, right? All these things that the world has convinced us, if we just have this, we'll finally be secure, we'll finally be okay, we'll finally be protected. And what we see in the New Testament and in the Old Testament is, no, there is only one God that can secure you. There is only one God that is worthy of your praise and your adoration, and of your celebration. And David starts off his psalm by saying, I will sing your praise in front of all the other little g-gods. Because we live in a nation that sings praises to things, right? Scroll through Facebook. Get off all the political stuff. Get off all the divisive stuff. And what you will see is what people are celebrating and who they are giving credit for the celebration for. And what David encourages us is for us to publicly declare where we get our strength from, where we get our celebration and our thankfulness from. He goes on. He says, May all the kings of the earth praise you, Lord. When they hear what you have decreed, may you sing, may they sing the, so, the sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. He sings in front of all these little g-gods. Why? Because celebrating our God is one of the greatest witnesses we can have to our greater community. When something good happens in our life, and instead of us taking personal credit for it, instead of us just generically giving credit for it, but we turn around and say, no, you know what, this is a gift from my father. This is a gift from a God who loves me and protects me, and so I celebrate him. That is actually witnessing. Sometimes as Christians we can think, no, witness happens when we explicitly go up to someone and try to convince them to believe in Jesus. You will never convince anyone to believe in Jesus. That doesn't mean that we're not supposed to talk to them. It doesn't mean that we're supposed to share our faith with them. But one of the ways we share our faith is simply by celebrating the God that we have. And publicly saying, you know what? He's where the good things in my life come from. And in that celebration, it takes on a form of witness to our community, and it takes off a form of witness to our homes, to our spouses. It helps remind them, hey, this good stuff wasn't because we're great. It's because we have a great God. Hey, kids, this home that we have, this daily bread that we get, we give thanks to God, our Father. Hey, parents! Don't, don't get caught up in the whirlwind, but as students, you get to be a light to your parents and remind them it's the God that we're trusting in. 
It's the God that we are celebrating in. You see, we get to be witnesses, not just to the world, but to our own families when we build in a pattern and a lifestyle and a rhythm of biblical celebration. The psalm goes on. Though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand, you save me. What I love about this part of the psalm is that even in trouble, David sings praise and celebration to his God. 2020 is the year of trouble, right? 2020 is the year of the curveball. Nothing seems to work right. Nothing seems to go right. It can be hard to celebrate. And yet what we see in the Psalm of David is that even when things aren't going right, we can still sing praise to our God. We can still have a posture of celebration. And that doesn't mean we have to pretend that everything's hunky-dory. No, God doesn't call his kids to play pretend in this world. But instead, what he says is that even when things are going wrong, we can have hope and we can still have a posture of celebration, a rhythm of celebration. And then I love how he ends it. Uh, oh, this is actually the verse. Uh, the Lord will vindicate me. Your love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the work of your hands. That's how he ends his psalm. And what David is saying is even while we are celebrating, we can still reach out to God for help. Even when we are celebrating and we are in a posture of giving thanks, we can still say, but God, there are some hard things and I might still be crying right now. I might still be hurting right now. And it's okay. The world is going to say, no, either everything has to be 100% perfect or everything is 100% wrong. And what we see in the biblical theology that both Jesus and the Old Testament give to his church is that we can hold two things in tension. We can be like, you know what? It's not perfect yet, God. And so I'm calling out to you in prayer to fix the situation, to heal this person. To, to heal the divide and the hurt that's in our home or in our nation, while still saying, but I will praise you, and I will trust in you, and I believe that you are a God who is calling us as your children to celebrate together. Old Testament and New Testament is filled with the invitation to celebrate. Regardless of what your situation is, regardless of what year we're in, regardless of all the externals, we have a God who is constantly calling us back into celebration. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.